Hey there. Welcome to the Deeper Podcast. A podcast that's all about how we love the hell out of this world. All of it? Yes, really all of it. And do so with a little bit more joy and a little bit more courage in our step. Taking on those small things that can feel like they don't matter, but trusting that they add up into something truly transformative. I'm Reverend Sean, one of the hosts of this podcast, and I'm joined today by Reverend Gretchen. Hey, Gretchen. Hey. And we are diving into the world of process theology today. Now, we are in this series, God, a Concept, where we're exploring the notions of theism and God that live both in our society, within our movement's history, but also maybe inside each of us. Um, not because we want to convince any, anyone to necessarily adopt a theistic view of the world, but because we want to learn and expand ourselves to understand why people might um, be drawn towards it. And, you know, it's interesting. We ask a question about theism and atheism in most of our newcomer classes. We ask people to line up on a spectrum. And uh, over the years, there's been more and more diversity in how people answer that question, which I think is not only indicative of the kind of ability of our culture to reclaim words and to find our way uh, into beliefs that feel good for us, but also a shift in Unitarian Universalism's accessibility to the theological diversity that we preach about. So today we're going to be diving. Oh, what do you want to say? I saw you make a face there, Gretchen. Yeah, I mean, I just I want to note that my guess is in most religious communities, the diversity, the expanded diversity you'd be talking about would be to acceptance of more atheists, the presence of mm. more atheists. And that's not what you're describing. Um, and I mean, when you talk about any, like if you listen to any religious conversation, religious podcast right now, it is about the rise of more atheists. But mm -hmm. that's not what you're describing. No, and and that's that's a great point. Like in the evangelical world, which, you know, ha has a mainstay of kind of American Christian uh, cultural thought, you know, there's been this rise of the deconstruction movement, people who are actively asking questions about their faith, the parts that make sense, the parts that don't, reclaiming uh, ancient traditions and practices or theological notions, while leaving behind a lot of kind of institutional baggage. And through that kind of deconstruction movement, I know a lot of people are discovering process theology and different under understandings of God that allows them to keep parts of their tradition and their beliefs. Um, while also leaving behind the really toxic ones. Because I think fundamentally, I have yet to come into that newcomer spectrum and have someone say, oh, yeah, I believe in a being that is God, that is male, that dictates mm -hmm. history. Like, no one has ever said that because those people aren't going to be attracted to our church in the first place. And I think it is a really hard belief to square with what we experience in the world and what you know modern quantum science is telling us about the realities of the universe and i think it's actually a much more boring explanation uh than what science and our experiences might tell us mm -hmm. the other thing about process is um i i think it is so we we have this program that we we do at foothills called wellspring it's a year-long deep dive into uu theology and history and personal spirituality and when people get to the uh, class on process, there's always this moment where people are like, what? Where have you been keeping this? Mm. Because it's just, it's so revelatory for folks that they can reinterpret God in a way that aligns with probably things they've experienced in their lives. It allows them to center those life-giving experiences uh, as really central to the human experience. Um, and I can just see, I've witnessed year after year, people's eyes kind of just like, and hearts opening up when they experience process. And process is like one of the most convoluted, complicated, intricate, somewhat contradictory theological systems that are that are out there. And so I thought, Gretchen, you and I could kind of just talk through kind of some of the ideas of process to kind of give everyone kind of an accessible introduction to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because what I was going to say is the reason that they have this, where have you been keeping this uh, response? is that it's it's a relatively complex and heady um, dive to really get into process theology. And so that makes it 
less accessible for Sunday morning in a lot of ways. And so um, a lot of our, a lot of people don't just literally don't have access to it. Just, it's just not something that is preached about on a regular basis, even though, like you said, it is something that people respond to pretty um, readily. So, but yes, it's, there's not a, uh, I have yet to find a really simple text Mm. about process theology. Yeah. And it's also complicated because, you know, there are many schools of process theology, but I think that there are two main camps in which there's a camp that preserves a being that is God. Mm. And then there's a camp that focuses on, uh, on, God only as uh, as uh, experience and and transformative interchange, mm-hmm. and then there's the spectrum in between, and so that's another part that I think people can get caught up in, and I get caught up on when I'm trying to preach about process theology. Is I can preach a I can tell people about the God of process theology, and I can tell people about the idea of God as process. And they they overlap, but also they're a little bit distinct in terms of what each of the camps is trying to do in terms mm. of the theological moves that they're trying to make. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And and I mean, both. It's kind of a both and it, they both they're like propositions about how this might work. Exactly. So why don't we just kind of start at the kind of fundamentals um, uh, of what process theology is? Um, and I actually was thinking about process theology as I was watching my son play a video game. Mm. So we both like this video game. It's called Breath of the Wild. It's this amazing game in which uh, it's it's in the genre that they call open world games, which means that there aren't like levels. So in a usual video game, it's kind of like a book. There's chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. Yeah, sure. But in Breath of the Wild, it is this expansive map that you just get to explore. And the things you do on the map change other parts of the map. And the way you address challenges, well, you can address them in a lot of different ways. So I was watching my son play, and there's this part of the the beginning of the game where you need to cross this chasm. And I remember when I was trying to play this game, and I was like, okay, how do I get across this? And so I spent like 30 minutes trying to like jump from from rock to rock and climb up the side and kept falling and dying. And then I watched him and he chopped down a tree and used the tree to get across the chasm. So smart. (laughs) So uh, Yeah, I was like, oh, that was smart. But what I was thinking about process is, you know, we live in this open world, right? That there's no levels at least no chapters of the books that I've received. What we do affects other people. And everything is this evolution of trying to figure out how to solve a process, how to solve the problems that are in front of us, knowing that what we do will impact not only the environment, but other people. And I think that's the fundamental building block of process is everything is an evolving story. Everything is dynamic. Everything changes. And how you approach that matters. I think the thing that, as I've been spending time in the last week thinking about process again, that I have started to wonder about is why we are insistent on conceiving of that as God in process. In that what you just described just sounds like life, um, humans, the natural world interacting with one another? Why do we need something more than like the interdependent web? And what is it that that process is trying to capture or assert about that? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, one of the the new newcomers in the class on Sunday heard someone talking about their version of God and said, well, I believe in all of that. And another person said, yeah, but I feel like it cheapens or if we just try to contort the word God to mean that, it all sort of loses its meaning. Mm. 
which I think is a similar question that you're asking. Like, why are we calling this God? Yeah, or I mean, like, what? Yeah, what is it that is? What's the thing we're trying to capture there that is distinct from just talking about how about ecosystems and life and you know what is something other than the natural world that we're trying to capture and what's the what's the allure of that like what what is it that versus is there not enough mystery and beauty in just talking about life itself and so i and i mean i have my answers for that just that that's i think it can get reduced as we're trying to describe it to we kind of lose what they're that the god piece yeah yeah i think it's a it's a good question um one of the pieces when i was preparing for this sunday i was thinking about how you know often we think about this first kind of principle of process like everything is dynamic everything is changing everything is interrelated you know, we think about it very externally, but it also applies within us. Yeah. Right? That we are constantly in process, that we are not the same beings that we were, not only on a cellu- cellular level, although some of our cells stick around for most of our lives, the majority of them get changed out. You know, we are what we consume, we are what we interact with. I mean, we learn more and more about the PFAS, these forever chemicals that we are consuming in our waters and our foods. Like they become a part of us. Um, but also that our the identities and the experiences that we that we have, they both form us. But we as humans, and maybe this is where some of that utility of the God piece comes in, is that we we start to cling to those ideas of who we are. Like, often very static ideas because they they provide some sense of um, stability, constancy. Uh, And there's a lot of pulling on a lot of like Buddhist thought there, but there's a lot of suffering that can come when we cling to these ideas about who we are, what we are in a world that's constantly changing. And so I think there's a role for God, or at least the the evocation of God to say, well, if everything is in process, if the world is in process, and I am in process, what is the stabilizing forces that hold that, that hold all of that process, that unfolding chaos? And a lot of process theologians will they'll name how God isn't just the fact that things happen and affect other people. It's that the the parameters of the universe are set in such a way that makes certain things able and likely to happen. And that there's a kind of a fundamental bedrock of of love or vitality that is the foundation for this experiment, mm. which I think is very much a theological faith claim that makes it not just not just a philo- philosophical practice um, or tradition, but really a, a, a theological one. What do you think? I think there's something in what you just said that I, it leads me to think about whether I agree with it or not. And I'm not sure that's the right uh, framework. We're not trying to talk about whether we believe that or not. So then I was trying to switch my framework to ha- have I do I experience that? Um, is that something I could understand or identify with experientially? Um, and I think. I don't think it's helpful to me to think of a stabilizing force per se. I I think it's more helpful to me to imagine a companion 
of and the idea of not being alone and that there's nothing that we could ever do that would make us be alone and that there's always a partner in life that we're always in relationship in life and and so then the god piece for me is and this is where i think process gets really tricky but i think it's in it's not the partner god is not in process god is what happens in that relationship it is the energy and force of 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 what comes what the it's the movement in the midst of that relationship it's the transformation itself it's the that there's something possible that is that there's like the magic in the exchange and the magic is god it's the the piece we can't identify about what happens when all sorts of things are in relationship with each other and when that when we're in relationship with each other with a fundamental notion of love an orientation of love then the transformation that happens is god and that's that's transformation is a noun i mean the transforming process the magic that makes that transforming possible it's the transforming <laughs> Um, anyway, I think that's, it's a scarier, but more realistic notion to me to say, it's just, it's, it's much less predictable or secure, um, but it requires more of my partnership and you know, it requires more of my attention than, I don't know if any of that's making sense, but I mean, I think that to, to enter into, to process, I think there's a few challenges. One is the theodicy problem, which is the, mm. like, what is, if we concede that control is partnership is is that there isn't control that it's all partnership that it's all um co-creation then what do we how do we make sense of supreme suffering and violence and um especially on the innocent, on those who, like, would you say they weren't good partners? You know, just, I think there's a, I think it's, it doesn't give the omniscient, omnipotent answer, which is a God can save us answer, which I just, I think there's, that has its own theodicy problems too. But I think that there's an exchange here of of acknowledging of acknowledging that of the real mystery of pain and suffering in the world. And what you get in exchange in process is partnership, is the that you're alone. So one of the process thinkers, Henry Nelson Wyman, defined God as God is that which operates in human life to transform people as they cannot transform themselves, to save them from evil and lead them to the best that human life can attain. And in that, he's essentially saying that God is not a personality or personal God, but as a perceivable natural process through which humanity can achieve salvation. Now, I think Weinman comes from the tradition that obviously doesn't have a, a God that is personal, although many process theologians do. But I think in that, the theodicy question, why do bad things happen? Why does evil exist? It, it puts the blame squarely on us, 
as humans, right? Like there's no way around that. I think yeah. it takes the common question of like, why would God let this happen and say, oh, we, because we did. And so it's, it sidesteps, I think, the main th the, the odyssey question that most people have that grow up with a God that is all powerful, all knowing, um, and all loving is to say, okay, why did you let these things happen? Right. Yeah. Um, especially when you have stories of God stopping certain things from happening, um, that are the foundation of your, 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 your faith, your, your scriptural faith. So I think process sidesteps that often by saying, actually it's on us. Right. And exactly as you say, you get you get partnership in it and you get companionship that if you believe in kind of a personal God or a force of the, that which can transform us might be some spiritual entity or presence, um, you do get something that says, um, no matter what, I'll be with you. No matter what, there's a possibility to take a step towards the good, the beautiful, the just and yeah. that that is always available i i think you're right it, it doesn't i think it's more crushing in some ways for yeah. for us because it's it doesn't there's no one else to blame um well and, and it doesn't yeah. it 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 doesn't it assumes a degree of agency that not everyone actually has um I mean, or it relies on in terms of the hopefulness of it. It relies on a degree of agency. I'm thinking of, you know, like my friend in seminary um, who was Jewish always said, like, can this theology stand up in the in the face of of burning children? And that's that's I can can we what do you say about this God? What they were bad partners? Like, it, no, we will say that there was other humans that were interchanging, that were acting. Maybe God was there. Elie <laughs> Wiesel would say otherwise. You know, that, that, that I think that it just, I think we have to wrestle more with that. But it's, you're right. Absolutely. I totally agree with you that ultimately it's, it, it is more um, palatable in terms of a worthy God of worshiping than an omniscient God who would have had the power to save those children and not and didn't and so i uh, agree i just think it's like we have to keep wrestling with what we assume the actor is and and who is um yeah who is capable i i want to though I, I as you were talking i also was thinking about the song we sang on sunday which is one of my favorite songs the sanctuary song um it's an evangelical song that we just changed Lord to love. Um, but it's love, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Um, and the idea being, I, at least what I take from that song is, um, I want to be a vessel of that partnership of love. I want to be open to true partnership of that love. And I think that for me is, uh, the comfort and hope of process is that there's something in us that we can we can prepare ourselves that we can practice that we can uh, open ourselves to being in greater deeper fuller partnership with the forces of love and that that's the prayer it's not love save me from this pain it's prepare me to be a greater sanctuary for you one of the pieces of process that consistently brings me back to it um is two two things firstly that if the world is unfolding in this dynamic maybe chaotic uh mess of events and god is a force that is trying to lure us towards 
the good in every moment. Um, and that the most important or the most true, the real interchanges that unlock that transforming potential, those always occur when 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 people and beings that are very different bring those differing perceptions of their experience of the universe together, not in a, a harmonizing way necessarily of trying to make them the same or find the least common or the most common denominator, um, but to create something that couldn't have been possible with e without each of the perspectives there. And that's like some of the, for me, it's a biggest antidote to my own impulse to say that uh, I alone, or at least I feel like we, we have a lot of messaging in our culture about authenticity and the importance of like being true to oneself when we live that authenticity and that journey, like that's the highest aim. Charles Taylor would say that's like the biggest part of our age right now. But the the kind of the note that process brings into that is a yes and. It says, yes, do that. But you need to be in these, be open to these moments of interchange with people who are very different than you, knowing that yours is only a piece of that unfolding drama, which is this life together. And that, I think, to, to embed fundamentally as the experience of God is bringing yourself to the altar of another who is different from you, not to try to change them, but to see what might transpire that could save all of us or transform all of us or open the door towards deeper and deeper love. Like that, I think, is not, it's a very practical orientation to life that orients me towards my better self but also to what living interdependently is like yeah so then the prayer like then the whole concept of prayer becomes about an openness a willingness to be present to that exchange and to be part of creating something for love on its behalf. Yeah. Like that's always the there that the pray, that prayers are always about an inner sense of openness or any of our openness. Yeah, I mean I think love. it's an open openness to it, but I think it's there's also maybe a prayer for boldness around being able to bring yeah bring that which is yours yeah to the table or a prayer for humility to recognize the truth of others that are being brought to the table yeah or who isn't at in the conversation because there is an inherent deficit to the creative potential the unlocking of that transformative power that we can't do ourselves there's something extra when we're able to transcend a lot of the complicated boxes that we contort ourselves to live within. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, I mean, just to go back to my original question about the God factor, I, I do feel like ultimately a, a neutral orientation to that creative interchange is the natural world. An, an orientation towards love is God. The vector of interchange that is towards love is what distinguishes us from just talking about nature. I think that's true, but I, I also think that there are ways in which you can look at the natural world and see imprints of what it means to to be drawn towards love i you know i think about evolutionary process right you know we you know we're always kind of taught this myth of survival of the fittest as the evolutionary ideal and what we actually know now is that most species actually want to live in a a, a diverse and dynamic ecosystem right the cooperation not uh, will 
is the law of evolution. Right. And that like, if you look at it from a meta level, not from an individual creature, yeah, you know, an individual bear wants to just, you know, have as much food as they need. But bears as a whole, what's best for them is to be in a balancing ecosystem. And mm-hmm. ecosystems naturally balance themselves because everyone is constantly changing. And so there is a model, the kind of a homeostatic model, maybe, that that can give an imprint towards what what does that world of love look like that isn't just neutral, but you have to have the right lens to look at it. Um, because if you have the lens of like, oh, well, it's tragic when a bear eats a deer, or then, yeah, you're like, okay, the, the world is more that, ecosystem is morally neutral but if you look at it as a self-balancing organism that is trying its best that actually on a whole knows that the majority will flourish when there is that diverse and that interchange between all of the species then maybe that is a a, the process of god unfolding in the natural world in a way that isn't just neutral that's what i'm going to talk about when i talk about job actually (laughs) in a couple weeks oh yeah yeah, just that balance of the natural world and the question of whether it's morally neutral or not. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. Good one. You know, I think the other part of process that um, is meaningful to me is, and I do have a more theistic orientation to process, which, you know, says not only is there power in these transforming events, but that there is some force that is drawing or luring us towards them. Of course, not coercively. That's one of the fundamental precepts of process is that as a partner, you can't, we can't be forced. Um, We can be persuaded, lured in relationship to be co-creating something, but we can't be forced. Is it aligns with one of my, deepest some of the deepest spiritual experiences i've had in my life in which i have felt pulled or called towards moments or people in ways that i can't totally explain logically and yet when i've shown up in those moments um it's felt like i was necessary for them and so there is like a process really honors the experiences that we have in this world is valid actually in a lot of process thought they and this is this is another theological claim that all things experience like every particle every cell everything Mm -hmm. has an experience of the universe um and that it takes that seriously and so to take my own experiences of i remember i was in the hospital and it was a chaplain and i was about to like clock out for the day and i just had this overwhelming urge like this overwhelming urge to go see one of the patients. It's a patient I hadn't seen in a couple of days. I didn't even know if they were still there. But just this like deep sense of like, you're supposed to be there. And I went there and all of her family had arrived. And they, she was in the process of dying. Mm. And they needed someone to hold that space for them. And, and, and like, maybe we could go into a lot of like psychological, uh, analysis about what that might have been. Mm. And for me, it didn't feel like guilt. It didn't feel like I was hedging my bets or I had a hunch. It just felt like this pull of like, you need to go to this place. And showing up in that moment and being like, oh, okay, yeah, I did need to be here. I mean, they probably would have been fine without me, but holding that space for them, I remember praying with them, and it was one of the most beautiful moments I had in the hospital. And so there is something about taking those experiences seriously and 
for me to be able to make meaning on top of that and and to think about um, a force in the world that is drawing me towards those moments has tuned me into listening for those urges within me in a way that has has not let me down um, in terms of how I'm able to show up for 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 love um, in many different circumstances, and so that that piece of it feels uh, like just it, it it resonates on that gut level for me in ways that other theological conceptions don't, hmm. because I have yet to have um, a voice from God booming down or a burning bush or you know some of those classical theological signs, um, but I have had these moments of feeling called and urged. Yeah, and it really, it's not that different than those classical moments. Like, it's just a different way of interpreting yeah. what's happening in those moments because um, you're saying all the different parts of the universe have experiences and we're all deeply connected and that's, you're tuning in to that your peace and all of that um which i mean the effect is the same yeah have we effectively fully thoroughly described process theology oh i think completely <laughs> Um, what what do, what do you think the the takeaway for for people would be in terms of they were to conceptualize process thought for themselves to try it on? What's the what's the what's the takeaway, and what's the invitation into living in a certain way? Yeah, for me, I think it's just that imagining. That love is always, um, let me back up, say first, that every part of life is interconnected. And that's something we say, you know, all the time. So it's not, that's not the revolutionary thought. But the revolutionary thought of process is that in the midst of that interconnection, there's a force of love that is luring us towards greater awareness and greater intention to continue to move life in a in that direction of love and that we are capable of um, partnering with we're being invited always to partner with that love and to be a force a vessel a yeah partner in that work I think parts of that, the invitations for me, the very practical ones, is to to first to 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 hold lightly or hold with humility what I what I what I think about myself and the world to be open to the reality that things change that. Mm other people and other beings are necessary elements of any future that is kind of worthy of that love. And so that necessitates a, um, a way of being with other people. It's very relational, right? But also then like the way of that relationship is if, if the force that God can exert on us is non-coercive, then the force that we should exert upon others should be non-coercive as well. We say something to uh, in our house all the time <laughs> related to our dog, which uh, is uh, don't force invite or don't force convince. Like don't force the dog to lay down. Try to convince her that she <laughs> wants to lay down. And um, it's a good motto in general to how our human relationships what is the foundation of our human relationships 
Everything is changing. You're changing. Everything is necessary for that solution. And how we get there is not to force, but to convince or invite. Persuade. Persuade. Yeah. I think I want to end by sharing the testimonial that Elizabeth Sink offered about her experience, which, which relates to process thought and those very real moments of heartbreak and how do we, how do we move through them in, in a way that keeps that openness towards what might happen next, despite the setbacks? Because it, I mean, even those people with very classical understandings of God aren't getting emails from God saying, <laughs> oh, well, this is the reason I did things. So uh, you should do this now. There's a lot of interpretive work. And so I think Elizabeth's experience really shows how to do some of that interpretive work through life circumstances based in, uh, based in a very process perspective. Yeah, it was a great reflection. I'm glad to be able to share it. After an intense day at a recent conference, a new colleague acquaintance with a smile looked at me and diagnosed me very clearly with an enthusiasm disorder. <laughs> he proceeded to check my ears and with a concerned look on his face said, yes, it's about to bubble over and it's gonna get on other people if you're not careful. <laughs> it's accurate, we'll come back to that. At a very different moment this summer, I could be found crumpled up on the bedroom floor, crying embarrassingly loud after receiving the biggest rejection of my career. So what do these two moments have to reveal? Well, they're very different points within a five-week span of my part in this unfolding process of practicing faith in something bigger than me, which I'll call God. I'm Elizabeth Sink. I know many of you out there. I'm on faculty at CSU in the Communication Studies Department, and I am passionate about building bridges across people who believe very differently from one another. I'm also a very active member of the Fort Collins Interfaith Council. Now, for those of you who really know me, you know that that interfaith stuff is my jam. It's my calling. As Parker Palmer says in his book, Let Your Life Speak, it's the thing I can't not do. And you should all feel very so sorry for my husband because I talk about it incessantly and probably to you too. So let's go back to those moments. Let's start with a painful one. Imagine coming home from a very relaxing camping trip. We hit five guys on the way into town. For some cosmic blessing of a reason, my family is not arguing as we're unpacking the car. And then I check my email. And there it was. From June 3rd to June 5th, I could be found crying on the floor because CSU had rejected a proposal that would have been the culmination of my career. For the past few years, I've been working with a very talented task force at CSU, calling for a creation of a set of programs and classes and living learning communities that promote religious, spiritual, and secular identity development, well-being practices, and cooperative engagement across difference. I think that's what our world needs more than anything right now. CSU said, this is a really good idea. We'll give you some money for some programs, which I've been running for the past 10 years for free, but we're not gonna pay your salary to do it. I was so betrayed and hurt and confused. I had top level support. We had been given, given all of our stats and good numbers and lots of good reports. And most importantly to me, this was, this was it. This was the next step in my career. It was the merging of my calling and my job. I can't go back to full-time teaching. I've seen myself beyond it now. And most, 
recently, the, the salt in the wound was that I had a huge slate this summer of professional development and conferences for a job that I don't have. So let's go to that second moment. Last week at Tufts University in Boston, I found myself at one of those conferences amidst a great intersection of academics from across many disciplines, nonprofit leaders, faith leaders, policymakers, politicians, and we centered ourselves around one question for three days. How do we, in this polarized society, love those who are so different from us, but without whom we can never fully understand the questions to solve the problems at hand. And the strategy that we enacted for these three days was to focus on our differences, which is not something that I practice a great deal in my personal life or at CSU. But it's not the conclusions we were supposed to focus on, it's the why, behind why someone has that conclusion. And then, most importantly for today's service, have faith in what evolves out of that understanding. So we were all buddied up with a partner, and uh, they were going to be our conversational partner throughout the conference. And I was buddied up with um, a conservative voting individual from North Carolina. And our task was to find something that we would vote differently on and sit with it. It wasn't hard, but it was fine. <laughs> and sit with it and really dig into the why, not the conclusions, but the why behind the conclusions. And so there's a lot I can say, but I will say that we came upon the issues of regulation and anti-regulation. And my buddy explained a childhood story where his father was uh, an inventive genius and a real community person, and he would create solutions to community problems that benefited so many people. And he was very humble, and it took many years for his friends and family to convince him to apply for a patent. And when he finally did, he was rejected because someone had gotten a patent of something very similar just a month before. And my buddy said it, it was just crushing, and it, it really, really stole his faith in humanity and his hope. And that's why he's kind of against regulation like that. Well, that's a story I can understand. And more importantly, it will forever be integrated into how I understand reality and those issues. Well, you know what happens next. My enthusiasm inched back in. Actually, probably it was a dumpster load based on what my colleague diagnosed me with. But I remembered how to make meaning through connection for a bigger purpose. My vigor was renewed to take strategies like this back home and back to my students to bridge across all kinds of difference. And it also helped me gear up to pivot at CSU to realities I can't see yet or partners that I haven't yet met and to prepare me to fundraise, which makes my hands sweaty just thinking about. But it renewed my faith in continued transformation. Brian McLaren, in his book, Faith After Doubt, describes faith very eloquently as faith has no preconceptions. It's the essential virtue of science. Faith is a refusal to reduce truth to what we currently understand. Faith is like looking at the sky through a clear glass window. Now here McLaren um, compares faith with belief. He said belief is painting a really pretty picture on the window so that when you look at it, you can always see that beautiful landscape. But faith is the clear glass window that allows you to see and reintegrate what you learn into your reality. So I'll close with these thoughts. Both the Elizabeth with the enthusiasm disorder and the Elizabeth who's an ugly crier on the floor are required in this unfolding process for exploring God and calling and meaning and purpose. I have faith in a process that needs diverse perspectives to authentically connect with those who are different from me to understand their 
why. So that we can live in a world where relationship trumps ideology. And I want to graduate students from CSU who are savvy and doing that same thing. These are the ways that I understand that I am a meaningful part in something bigger than me, which we may call God. Thanks for listening, everyone. Next week, we're going to be taking your questions. Is that right? Yes, because we're having our uh, question box service where we invite questions from whoever might bring them. And then we answer them on the fly. And I imagine that what we might do next week is whatever questions we don't get to, which we there's usually tons of them, um, we could answer them on the podcast. And um, maybe there's a place for podcast listeners to um, share their questions this week. Yeah, if you go to foothillsuu.org slash question box, you'll get a little form. If you give us your name and your email address and ask your question, we'll be happy to answer it. We do ask for those things because, um, firstly, we don't believe in like anonymous feedback in church because we think everything is relational. But also, sometimes we want to follow up with answers or questions or further questions related to it afterwards. Um, to how we usually do the service is we don't see the questions beforehand, and that's probably how we'll do the podcast too as well get some bonus content. So get those questions submitted uh, ASAP. We're doing this right now, I should say, in July. This is probably going to be published July 26th uh, or around there, 2022. So get those out there fast. And if not, you'll get to enjoy other people's questions. Oh, yeah, 2023. That is the right year. <laughs> well, we look forward to your questions no matter what year they arrive. Take care. Bye.